In this discussion, we are joined by Aaron Hamilton, the Director for Middle East and Africa, and Raj Sandhu, pre-sales engineer, to discuss ransomware, threat hunting, and threat intelligence, to review what Security HQ analysts are seeing in the market in terms of ransomware groups and ransomware as a service, and to explore why proactive analysis is so important and how to identify and stop threats in their tracks. Hi there. Um, we are talking to you today from our Dubai Security Operations Centre. My name is Aaron Hambleton. I'm the Director for Middle East and Africa. Uh, and I'm joined today by Raj. Hi, I'm Raj. I'm part of the technical pre-sales team here for Security HQ, mainly operating in the Dubai and uh, Middle East and Africa region. My job is to understand a customer's requirements, solution those and, and understand where we can fill those gaps to ensure that we're leveraging what a customer already has in place, ensuring they see return on investment in that. So Raj, I think today you wanted to ask a few questions mainly around the landscape, right, and threat intelligence, if I'm not mistaken, so. Absolutely. Yeah. So often during my, uh, my technical pre-sales uh, stages with customers, mm. I'm getting a lot of questions around threat intelligence, threat advisory. What are we currently seeing in the market in okay. terms of ransomware groups? Okay. Um, I know you're very hot on this, Aaron, mm. so just love to get your take on this. Yeah, I think the threat landscape is, is always um, an interesting topic that customers always like to approach and discuss. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that, that we have to feed back to our customers. So the landscape, particularly on ransomware, as you mentioned, is, is, is interesting at the moment. We've, we've seen a, a huge development in the last maybe 24 to 18 months. Um, but specifically across 2022, we've seen a massive uprise in what's now known as double extortion. Um, so that's where rather than have your traditional ransomware, where you have encryption of the files on a, on a system first, then followed by ransomware payment, we're now seeing files are exfiltrated out of a customer's environment, being held at ransom in parallel to the system then being encrypted and then being held to ransom. And the reason for doing that is the fact that if a victim doesn't pay the, the, the original ransom of the files being encrypted, the operators of the ransomware group, which you know, frankly are organised crime groups, they have the data, they will publish it to the public if, if the secondary ransom payment of the publishing of the data is not paid. So double extortion is something that I think we, specifically within Security HQ, are trying to educate our customers on. It's, it's not as simple now as we'll back up and we'll restore from our last known backup. It's more, it's more at play. Now, if you want to focus specifically on ransomware groups, the most prolific ransomware group last year in 2022 was Lockbit. Absolutely. Yeah, you remember Lockbit. We've mentioned it a lot yes. in our global threat forecast and yes. things like that. So Lockbit are particularly interesting because they operate out of Russia. So they're, they're a Russian-operated uh, ransomware group. But one of the differentiators with Lockbit, and there are more now coming up, but they are what's known as ransomware as a service. So they operate as the ransomware operator, but then they can lease out their ransomware payload, yes. if you like, to what's called affiliates. And those affiliates for a cut of the ransomware, a higher proportion of the ransomware payment, in fact, can use the Lockbit ransomware on behalf of the Lockbit operator. Absolutely. So they get to keep anywhere between 70 to 80% of the ransomware payment, should they be successful, mm -hmm. while the operator can, can yield anywhere between 30 to 20%. So due to the success of their kind of ransomware as a service model, it's led to Lockbit being, you know, incredibly dominant um, and prolific, especially over 2022. Yeah. And I think now, you know, we, we're approaching the end of the first quarter in 2023. Mm -hmm. 
and we've already seen Lockbit are well ahead of other ransomware groups like Blackbit or Blackbasta or Hive, for example. It's interesting. What you said is it's incredible, to be honest, and, and the prevalence that Lockbit has. Mm. One point I want to touch on is ransomware as a service. Okay. Now, many people that are going to watch this, yeah. they're going to know what software as a service is, yeah. SaaS, of yeah. course, Buzzword, yeah. RAS. Ransomware as a service. Can we yeah, expand? of course. It's hopefully it's not something that, um, that that picks up popularity like SaaS, right? That's not what we want. But um, but RAS ransomware as a service is effectively just that. As a lower skilled, lower equipped team or an organised crime group, maybe you don't have the resources in house to craft your own ransomware payload. You don't have the technical know how. The ideal scenario for you is you can just borrow ransomware payload off yeah. of someone, right? Off an operator like, for example, Lockbit in this particular case. Precisely. And uh, they ena that enables you, it lowers the bar for entry for, yeah. these, for these ransomware attacks. Ransomware attacks that used to be carried out by the more kind of, you know, what's known as APTs or advanced persistent threats or the higher kind of knowledge and the technical know-how. That entry bar that was once there is now a lot lower because ransomware is just being distributed to these lower qualified, if you like, uh, attacking groups or hackers or whatever you want to call it. And as long as that access, which brings me to another topic of, of initial access brokers, if mm -hmm. you know about those, right? Yeah. Initial access brokers are, you know, they're often referred to as the bottom feeders, if you like, right? It's that type of actor. They are, yeah. these are the ones who will post up access into an organization, mm -hmm. you know, be it RDP access, VPN access, Maybe they've got an exploit kit. Maybe they're selling credentials for a domain admin. They'll sell this access on marketplace forums. How ransomware is being shaped, so how mm. it's being marketed, is making it very accessible for anyone to go and disrupt any organization right now, right? So my question is, what are Security HQ doing to stay one step ahead of those ransomware trends in terms of our threat advisory teams, mm. the threat intelligence that we, we provide our customers to ensure that they're taking proactive measures you just like to expand on, on some of those points sir. more than ever threat intelligence as a as a whole um is is becoming more and more important and when we say threat intelligence let's just be clear we're not talking about you know i've got this hash or this ip address or you know iocs is what is what's commonly referred to we're not talking about that level of intelligence right we're talking about our team our, our dedicated threat intelligence team that we have and our certified threat intelligence analysts they are on the front foot. They're researching emerging threats. They're looking and tracking the behaviours and activities of nation state actors or organised crime groups or ransomware groups, for example. They are into closed source or dark web marketplace forums, looking for signs of access being sold into you know, particular customers of ours. While they won't be mentioned by name, the initial access broker will be mentioning them by industry. For example, they might say, you know, um, automotive company based in the UAE. Now, if you were to have a customer that fits that kind of description, that straight away would, would set some alarm bells for our side. So we do that proactive analysis as well. Now, I think the most important thing to, to kind of note is that by having that, that kind of proactive and, and the, the, the researching emerging threats and trends and the TTPs, right, the tactics, the techniques and the procedures, we don't wait for a detection from a, from a SOC perspective, right? We have to be one step ahead of, of these guys. So we pay a lot of attention and research. What are the latest TTPs of a particular actor or a particular ransomware group, for example? If we can research and understand maybe their last recent attack, maybe they used a different technique or a different tactic to carry out one stage of their attack, maybe yeah. for persistence, maybe they used 
I don't know, a custom DLL for this time, but we've never seen that before for this mm. particular group. We now know, we can now inform our SOC that, hey, you know, this particular actor, we've not seen it before, but now we know as part of their TTPs, they're using custom DLLs. So we, if they're custom, we don't expect them to raise on any antivirus or any EDR, for example, because the signature isn't known because they're custom, right? Yeah. So we have to focus on behavior now. So our shift is completely away from IOCs and mm -hmm. hash value and IP address. You know, that would change really quickly, relatively Absolutely. quickly, right? Yes. Especially IPs, IP addresses. So our focus has to be on the behaviors of what mm -hmm. we're seeing on an endpoint or mm -hmm. server. If we see a behavior or behaviors, TTPs that match a particular actor that we know might be targeting, let's say, for example, financial services in the Middle East or telecom in the Middle East, then we can act accordingly. We won't wait until there is potentially a detonation of malware or a detonation of ransomware. We want to stop it early in the kill chain. Exactly. And I think you've drawn on a really important point there. It's all about being proactive mm. rather than reactive. Customers often, you know, I've dealt with many customers now, have the reactive measures in place. Mm. It's often siloed, the security tooling. Yeah. They need something to bring that all together to allow them to be more prepared for threats out incoming. Now, ransomware is a complex threat to detect. Yeah. It's all about putting the story together, as you said, initial mm. access all the way through to compromise, yeah. how it's laterally moved. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit how our uh, bread and butter service, Magic Detection Response, yeah really counters ransomware threats? Yeah, so it's, you know, like I said, with the, with ransomware, if you like, it's, or any particular malware propagation, you mentioned lateral movement, we've got persistence, mm -hmm. you know, um, credential access. It's all about detecting those behaviors, right? So stopping it as early in the kill chain, detecting it as early in the kill chain as you possibly can yep. before it gets to, you know, command and control or exfiltration. Once it's reached that point, you could say it's a completely successful compromise. Mm -hmm. So in that essence, it's, uh, it's really important to, to look at it from a whole different aspect. With persistence, okay, we need to be looking at what have we seen? Have we seen registry edits recently on that particular service or particular mm -hmm. box? Are we seeing DLLs being injected? Are we seeing new accounts being created? And all of this is actually why SOC as a service really that we provide or the end manage detect and response is there. Mm -hmm. Because while we obviously do the, the, the reactive detection and response, which is that we've seen an alert, we're going to take it and qualify and put it into an incident, we have dedicated threat hunters, right? A threat hunting team that we have. Yeah. They're proactive. This is the team that focus on detecting what is not known. What is the unknown? Absolutely. What don't we know about, right? Yeah. And it's really important. So they will look and trawl through logs, from proxy, from mail gateway, from your registry, from your DLLs, from your files, from your DNS resolution, from your file, everything. Looking for that one thread they can pull on to unravel potentially something that was bypassed by a control. As you know, there is no one control that fixes everything, right? You mm. mentioned siloed security, check, you know, point solutions and everything else. Exactly. So defense in depth is, needs to be there. Mm -hmm. And it's often the case that sometimes, you know, the more attacks are becoming sophisticated. Yes. Some controls will be bypassed. But EDR with an AMSI bypass, it's, it's relatively simple to do. Mm. So we have to take that proactive measure. We have to go and look and assume sometimes potential compromise. We have to do that. We have to come up with mm -hmm. a hypothesis mm -hmm. to carry on our threat hunting uh, activities. Yeah. So it has to be guided, it has to be strategic threat hunting. We won't just look you know, willy-nilly, if you like. We have to be targeted with the hypothesis and the strategy. And more often than not, we, we, we are successful in, in finding 
something that shouldn't usually be there. It might be, yeah. you know, potentially unwanted program. It might be maybe a user that's been added to the main admin group that probably shouldn't have been. Or if not, it's just general hygiene things that we'll find, you know, um, overprivileged users or users that have been left the organization for a year, but still in privileged groups. Mm. So the threat hunting is really there to help with those kind of countermeasures, if you like, to find yeah. things before they can, they can get too late. Threat intelligence, we can talk all day about this. For sure. It's brilliant. Yeah. But another key factor is context. Yeah. We like to bring context to our customers, right? Absolutely. You know, you take an event in isolation. Mm. You don't know the true nature of that incident, the severity. Correct. Is it a major or is it just, you know, business as usual? Yeah, yeah. So how do we bring context from multiple log sources mm. and understand, okay, what is truly a risk to the security posture to an organization? And what is just a false positive? Because the biggest challenge that organizations are facing today is they're being burdened with false yeah. positives. They spend hundreds of thousands on, on a seam technology, yeah. for example, but they've got no real means to filter out the true noise. How do we solve that challenge? We do a lot of work around correlation, right? Correlation is the key for everything we do. So you've mentioned single point log sources or multiple log sources. We don't just take an event in isolation, right? So we, mm. we, we, we have a single event, that's fine by itself. But if we start chaining those events from multiple log sources, we can then chain that into what's known as an offense or an alert, right? So we might be able to take an, an offense or an alert from an endpoint solution, from a proxy, mm -hmm. followed by a firewall, followed by a web gateway. If you stitch all those together and, add, add and do that correlation, which our platform will do for our customers, you start to understand that actually, hold on a minute, in isolation this looks okay, but when you start to string together and correlate these events, mm. this now is something we might want to look into and you talk about false positives, and I think this is something really important that we talk a lot to customers about and help them understand, it's that we don't just provide alerts, we don't just throw alerts over the fence, right? It's, it's incidents that we provide. So they have to be actionable, they have to become a recommendations and full analysis. And it's important that customers understand that. We don't just go, here's an alert, please go action. The very first step that we take, obviously with the analysis and, and, and the triaging, is the qualification of those events that have then formed an, an offence or an alert. And once qualified, if we deem it to be a true positive, then it becomes an incident. Yeah. And that is what we want our customers to consume, right? Only true positive incidents, wherever possible, high fidelity alerting with true positive incidents to give them the real context into actually what they need to focus on. Because if we, if we flood them with false positives, as you know, they become, it's very easy to become desensitized, desensitized right? Exactly, yeah, that's De desensitized exactly. to an offense or an alert or an incident mm -hmm. that like, I've seen this before. So we have a lot of process, a lot of procedure around false positive handling, how we do that, how's best mm. to tune those out with the customer as well. And we, we do that on our weekly SecOps call with customers, as you know. Yes. We'll sit down every week, look through the baseline report, mm. posture management, everything else, and we look at where we can fine tune. Just on that topic of yeah. false positives, a lot of customers feel automation is key. Automation mm. is a massive trend right now. ChatGPT, yeah. other powerful tools that yeah. can be released, and God knows what else in the next few years. Yeah. But there's also that human element that is critical. Now, a blend of automation and human expertise, For sure. in my opinion, is what makes Security HQ stand out. For right? sure. We have the depth of talent, which is hard to find um, in the security industry. There's a massive skill shortage. We sit in a good position where we have L1 analysts mm -hmm. all the way down to L4 analysts, yep. utilizing and leveraging Gartner-leading technology to make informed decisions. Absolutely. Right? So since being at Security HQ, that is one of the main reasons why I feel customers love us. For sure. Second reason, which I want to draw on to, is our global presence. Yeah. 
I know you can speak about our global yeah. presence for days. I know that firsthand. Yeah. So just give us a bit of an insight on what our global presence allows us to leverage and how customers in the Middle East mm. can benefit from that globally. Well, I think it's, we're relatively unique in, in that sense, right? So obviously, you know, being based here in, in, in Dubai and looking after the Middle East Africa region, customers often get excited at the fact that we can draw upon experience that, let's say, for example, our New York SOC, for example, who mm. covers a wide range of industries that you could probably argue a much bigger size typically you know typically american organizations are a lot larger than what you might see here in, in the middle east or africa as a whole they're excited by the fact that they can draw upon that experience we have there or all the way down to sydney or uk or india or johannesburg for example right, in south africa different countries have different challenges different markets and different companies have different challenges the data that we see allows us to baseline a whole different variation of events for example from different log sources mm -hmm. we understand what threats different industries face in different regions and ultimately we're not just contained here right as dubai in the middle east absolutely we can draw upon intelligence what have you seen in america recently from a campaign perspective that i could also put into play here mm. but the beautiful thing is like you mentioned we don't have to ask that question to the teams globally because automatically through through orchestration automation that intelligence and that data is plugged in. Yeah. So we don't have to go asking. It's already there. Mm. I think that's the most important thing, you know, when we discuss with customers that you don't have to ask me or the SOC to get you this information. It's already being pumped in. So when your data is, is being processed and the correlations happening and the passing and normalization, straight away you are leveraging the global presence of security HQ and the data mm. that we have in, in the billions and billions of events per second mm. that we have. It's, 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 it's pretty much unrivaled. Thank you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a member of the Security HQ team, please visit www.securityhq.com.